I think in that moment where you reach down into the depth of your being and you pull out something that you're afraid no one else has ever been through and then you share it with someone and they're like, oh my God, me too. Um, I think that experience alone is what I'm after now as an artist yeah. and I've got to do this for the rest of my life. Hello and welcome to Out Loud, a podcast by and for queer people of faith in the South. Here we tell our stories of varied religious upbringings, messy coming outs, and the gift of community with one another. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and the voice you just heard was Brian Falduto. Brian is an actor, singer, songwriter, life coach, and host of the Gay Life Coach podcast. At age 11, he was cast in the film School of Rock and later performed in various off-Broadway and regional theater productions. Brian attended Catholic school growing up and has gone to predominantly Protestant churches on and off throughout his life. After finding a church that accepted his sexuality, he was inspired to write his latest single, God Loves Me Too. In our discussion, we hear the story behind the music, as well as how Brian overcame the internalized homophobia he felt growing up. Brian also shares his perspective on spirituality and mindfulness, as well as his favorite self-care practices. Brian uses the gender pronouns he, him, they, and them. And before we dive into our conversation, I've got just a few announcements. The Q Christian Conference is this January 20th through 23rd. QCF is a fantastic event that we've mentioned before on the show that brings together LGBTQ plus Christians and allies. Due to COVID-19 concerns, QCF will be gathering virtually this year. But this year is extra special because we'll be doing a live episode of Out Loud as part of the programming. You'll not only be able to hear the show, but see the show, which is super fun. You can catch us on Thursday, January 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern time, but you have to register. Registration is just $50 for the entire four days of programming. Learn more at qcfconf, that's qcfconf.org. Link is in the show notes. And if you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, you can catch me at my regular yoga classes at the Boho Fit Studio in Brooklyn Park. Just follow me on Instagram at It's Greg Thompson or sign up for my email newsletter to get the latest schedule updates. And finally, Out Loud does not happen without your help. As we start the new year, consider making a contribution to Out Loud as part of how you'll give back in 2022. You can become a member of our Patreon page to give regularly, and any contribution is greatly appreciated. And now, let's hear from Brian Falduto. Brian, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I like to start every episode just by asking folks um, pretty broadly to tell me about what's the religious background of, of your childhood. Yeah, I grew up going to church. <laughs> I was Protestant. The first Reformed Church of Lincoln Park is where I grew up with my church family. I think first Reformed, I've never actually looked into it, but I, I think that's, I'm, I'm similar to like a United Methodist sort of thing. I feel like there's a first Reformed Church, uh, a governing church, and then there's like different branches of that. But in third grade, I actually started going to a private Catholic school. So I got a double dose of two different religions all throughout my my childhood. I got the Protestant side of things and then the Catholic side of things. And then I stayed in Catholic school until I was a senior in high school. And then I graduated and I went to college. So quite a long time. I feel like it's religion and my childhood were fair, fairly inseparable. Like it was right there every step of the way. I'm a performer and the first time I ever sang was in church. I'm actually writing a kid's book at the moment and the opening page is me belting as loud as I can in a children's choir in church and the the in the choir director is saying, "Why can't everyone sing as loud as Brian?" which is a real memory I have. And then yeah, and then and then you know, school, I feel like in private school it felt like we went to mass every single week for crying out loud. I feel like mm-hmm. it was just we had theology class. It was just so there. And I actually recently helped my parents move and I discovered a journal from when I was 11, 12-ish and it was I mean, I'm just so surprised at how religious it was. Every other entry was a prayer. Or I would sign off and be like, gonna go pray now. (laughs) (laughs) Like just this like devout 
little kid. Yeah. So that's it. It was just right there, you know, every step of the way. And then I went to college and I feel like this happens to a lot of gay men. I just discovered that people were living really happily with themselves without a dedication to church every Sunday. And these are people that I was coming to know and they were from different walks of life. And also I I found a church near my campus and I would go on Sundays occasionally. But in college, I don't know, I feel like it becomes difficult to do anything that's not studying, drinking, or like <laughs> sitting around, right? I feel like it's yeah, it's one of those three things that that's what you're doing. And then you know, it's it's difficult to take on an extracurricular activity like going to church every Sunday, especially if it's off campus. So I was so I would occasionally go, but I just, you know, I, I started to develop a distance between myself and religion. My family church that I grew up in, the Protestant one, I always had good memories of that. But I think because of how tied religion was to my high school experience, I grew quite sick of some of the it, you know, it just got overwhelming. I feel like there's there's so many rules and so many so many things to remember, and and so yeah, and so was was your yeah. family pretty religious? Yeah, and um, and are they still pretty religious today? Yeah, my mom was sort of the driver getting us to church. I don't think my brother is very religious anymore. My dad was. I think I don't know. He <laughs> it felt like he just. He just went along for the ride. I've actually never even like heard his philosophies on religion. He's a very soft-spoken man. But he would sit next to my mom in church anyway. But his mom was super religious. So my grandma, my Aunt Mary for two years now has been telling the story of how on her birthday, the congregation stood up and sang happy birthday to her. So church is a big part of her life. It, mm -hmm. seems, it seems to be the only story she can remember from the past two years. She's also 99, so it's very impressive. So, so yeah, it's 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 been, it's been a big factor. Do you remember, like, was your church outspoken at all about inclusion of the, the queer community? They were not. And I think that was one of the big frustrations, right? Because I had this ongoing internal battle. And it kind of felt every Sunday, I've said this before, I, I feel like the aggravation on my end was like, why isn't anyone talking about it? Like if what I if if being gay is so wrong, I kept waiting for the Sunday where I was going to walk in and like they were going to have the sermon where they're like being gay is a sin, but they never addressed it ever. And so mm -hmm. I was left to go home every Sunday just wondering when they were going to talk about it, you know, yeah. <laughs> but knowing that there was this rumor that it was super wrong. So then how did that how did how would you say that sort of coincided with like with with you coming out as you know as a teenager or or what when did you come out exactly and, and was church a part of that at all for you was that a consideration yes. so i didn't come out till senior year of college actually and my i actually think that it had nothing to do with church per se i mean that's that's not true i'm sure church was very much a factor but i don't know if you know this but i was in the movie school of rock when i was younger yeah and so the I was referred to as the gay kid from School of Rock when that came out and I was 11 and I didn't even know if I was gay yet at the time. So I just immediately denied the idea of being gay because in 2003, if you're 11 and your fifth grade class of boys is calling you gay, that's meant to be an insult, right? So I was just yeah. like, so I, I became internally homophobic before I even had the idea that I was gay. And then when wow. I started, when I started to get, you know, notions that I might be attracted to boys, I just, I instantly shut it down. And I think denial that at that early of an age before you have any of your mental processings to deal with like feedback in that way. That's how trauma is created. So then I had trauma mm -hmm. and it, it lives in the body. And it wasn't until I fell in love with someone my senior year of college that I deci we decided to come out together. But I think religion was a tool in the denial process for me, you know, praying every night that I wouldn't be gay and also just like, I don't know, I, there's a lot of repression involved, obviously, too, to a degree. But I think that it was just having this, having this like governing idea of right and wrong, I think just allowed me the space to feel right in the fact that I was suppressing all this. Yeah. You know? I totally... Yeah, I totally get that. I, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I think I, I I can really relate to what you're talking about because I didn't really admit to myself like 
who I was really attracted to until yeah. after college. Yeah. And it wasn't something I could, it was something I, I felt and that I can now name all these years later. But, but when I was in high school and in college, it was just not an option. And it was yeah. kind of that, like you're saying, like that internalized homophobia that just kind of like lived deep within. And it's kind of crazy that like, eventually it was just unlocked and it was, and I was able to kind of work with it. But for so long, it was just kind of held deep down yeah. in there. I mean, people underestimate the power of denial. Like I convinced yeah. myself that I was not gay. Like it's not like I was lying to myself constantly. I convinced myself that I was not gay. Yeah. And then even to the degree that in high school, I feel like I would occasionally like go meet a boy and like only do stuff enough to the point that like I could leave that situation and be like, well, that wasn't gay. <laughs> like, you know, like ways to justify <laughs> with myself that the experience was like that any any two guys hanging out would do that. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, denial is a really powerful tool. Yeah. Well, and and, and yeah, and that's so true because i i think just the 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 experience too that i had in like high school was that that the kind of bullying that comes with you know being in the locker room with other other guys or whatever like the amount of time you that you might spend saying no that's not me i'm not gay like please don't make that joke at right. me please don't direct that to me yeah ends up becoming this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of like nope it's not me it's definitely not me never gonna be me definitely yeah. not <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i can only imagine just how what your situation was like because you were in that limelight with the movie and people were probably maybe making those jokes more often mm -hmm. than I think probably the average person at school. And so, yeah, I mean, I walked yeah. into high school and like the first, the first step onto the campus, someone was like, is that the gay kid from school of rock? And that was five years after the movie. So I thought I was going to go to high yeah. school and get like a fresh chance. Right. And then my first day walking into college, I thought I was going to get a fresh chance and like, I was moving my stuff into the dorm and I was like, hey, were you in School of Rock? And so I was like, yeah. And so like, there was always a perception of me that I had to manage before I ever got to introduce myself as myself. So like my whole life was to a degree about dealing with the perception that was already out there. Yeah. When do you feel like you got to the point where you could just like own that and not have to worry about someone asking like were you in this movie <laughs> yeah honestly it was not till like after college really i remember someone came up to me once in the dining hall at college and was like i heard you get so angry when people ask you about school of rock and i was like first of all then why are you asking second of all second of all i don't get angry i don't like start throwing things i just <laughs> i don't know i don't want to talk about it all the time but conversely yeah. now i talk about it quite freely because when I did finally, like, I did this, like, you know, I've done some interviews and I've spoken publicly about the impact of the movie on me and blah, 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 blah. And all these people have reached out about what the character meant to them when they were younger because they got to see themselves on screen, even though it was not my reality, seeing this sassy, flamboyant character on screen that was just like them was, like, cool. And so, and, you know, we're, I think we're in an age where people have to talk about their shit, right? Or else we're not going to learn, we're not going to learn from each other. So yeah, I'm, I'm just, I've chosen to embrace it. And especially because now I am an out gay man. So yeah, I, I, as far as when that happened, I don't know. I think songwriting has been like a real big tool in that songwriting, you get to deep, dig deep down and like, expose truths that you wouldn't just say, you know, so mm -hmm. I feel like it, it helped me discover a more truer version of myself. When did you, when did you start getting into songwriting? Was that after college or? Yeah, it was after college. I started working for a country music radio station, actually, when I graduated college. And I just sort of fell in love with country music. There's just cool. beautiful storytelling in country music. Yeah. And a lot, I was going through a tough breakup at the time, the same guy who I had come out with in a senior year of college. And yeah, country music, I just kept finding myself in the lyrics of country music. And then I was like, what if I try writing my own song? And then I, I did. And then. It ended up being such a therapeutic experience for me and I kept doing it. And then I was like, I'm never going to share these with anyone. And then sure enough, I had some wine one night and a friend was over and I was like, hey, you want me to play the song I've been working on? And then I played them the song and they were like, hey, this is really good. And then, you know, one thing led to another and I started sharing my music and people were like, I go through the same thing. And then I think in that moment where you reach down into the depth of your being and you pull out something that you're afraid no one else has ever been through and then you share it with someone and they're like, oh my God, me too. Um... I think that experience alone is what I'm after now as an artist. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, I think that that moment in time for me was so revolutionary that I was like, I've got to do this for the rest of my life. So yeah, and that's how I started writing. And I've actually, I don't know if you know, but I actually, I wrote a song about my religious upbringing called uh, God Loves Me Too. Yeah. And people should definitely check it out. It's one of those songs where, you know, it's it's a tough one for me because I don't know that it's necessarily even reflective of where I'm at spiritually in the present day. But what happened was I was sitting down and I I reached into the depths of my soul, like I just said, and I I pulled out something that I had needed to say for a long time. And it, I think it resulted in a really beautiful song that has impacted a lot of people. But just because basically what I was doing was being like, this is my, this is, this is what my life was like with religion in it, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you um, released that in 2020. Mm-hmm. And so where, where would you say you were kind of like with your faith when you approached writing that song? Yeah, so I was in LA at the time and I had I was there for a project and I had a lot of free time on the weekends because I didn't really know anyone in town and I was there for a very specific reason and I was like what am I going to do with myself on the weekends and then I was like well maybe I'll try going back to church it's been a long time and I googled like LGBTQ inclusive churches and I discovered the Hollywood United Methodist Church. And I remember I drove up and there was a giant pride flag above the doors and you walk in and there's like rainbows everywhere. And the the pastor was even wearing like a, a rainbow stole. And, you know, I took a seat in the back and a couple of aisles up, I saw a gay couple holding hands. And I ended up just sitting there for the entire length of the service, an hour and 15 minutes, just crying. I was, you know, like in a, not like in a weeping way, but just like in a really pleasant, nostalgic way. I spent all those Sundays in church hoping that anyone would even address what I was going through. And here I am in a church surrounded by positive affirmation of what I'm going through. It was a really impactful Sunday. And then I just kept going back every Sunday. Not even because I was necessarily that interested in like the Bible teachings, but because it was a therapeutic experience to return to this, this, this building that I had for so long felt like I wasn't allowed to be myself in and then have them say, actually, yes, you are. Yeah. Mm. Did you know like before then that churches like that existed? No, not really. Not to that extent. And then what happened was, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, there's the Methodist church is currently going through like a split, right? And so what happened was I showed up one Sunday, just this getting ready for my hour cry. And I walked in and the there was a very somber energy in the room. And I was like, what's going on? And then the the pastor got up and she was like, I know that we all saw the vote this week. And I was like, what vote? I have no idea what's going on. And then she proceeded to to go into all the details of what was going on in the church. And in that moment, I sort of realized that this Sunday refuge I had found was not the, I was just reminded that this is not the case everywhere by far. Mm -hmm. And that even within this denomination, there are churches that didn't like what was going on inside of this church. And then I just thought about younger me sitting in church, listening to the same sermon, but for those on the side of the vote that voted against the LGBTQ language, right? And I was like, I was just flooded with inspiration. And I went home and I wrote God Loves Me Too in 20 minutes. It was the fastest I've ever written a song. And and yeah, the song has just become sort of like a message to that kid that's sitting in the church that doesn't know that they're going to have the option that I have one day. You know what I mean? It's just like letting them know that one day you'll be able to walk into church and be yourself and it's going to be really cool. How would you describe your relationship with church like before finding the Hollywood United Methodist Church. Like what was what was that sort of time like for you in your faith? I feel like it was just on pause. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. just like something I didn't want to think about because I didn't know the answer yet. I knew what I think what was a big struggle for me is that I I never lost my love of like worship music. And so like I wouldn't be going to church. I wouldn't really be talking about God. I wouldn't be praying. But I would still occasionally be like, I want to listen to some Chris Tomlin right now, you know, or like, I want to listen to some casting crowns. And like, and that always confused me because I was like, what's this? Worship music does something to the inside of your body. It's not, 
even when I was younger, I feel like the whole reason I believed in God is because I feel like there was proof as you were sitting in a pew, like, and listening and singing songs. Like there's, there's something that overcomes you. It's like, mm -hmm. and so I was like, I, I just felt torn because I was like, I don't want to let these songs go. I don't want to let this, this feeling go that I have, but I also don't want to go back to church. <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, it was just a time that I was on pause. And then I think the cool thing about writing my own song is that I kind of reclaimed worship music for myself in a, in a weird sort of way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear that in that, in that track, like the, something about the instrumentation sort of sounds like a worship song. And then, and then you use the, the here lyrics am, from Lord. the hymn, here I am Lord, yeah. and which was played in my church a lot growing up and is one of my all time faves. Week up yeah. in private Catholic school. And she, here we are. <laughs> totally. Totally. That one cuts deep though. Like yeah. if you're in a tough situation and yeah, and you're not, you know, it's a good, it's a very comforting hymn and sort of like, like a surrender kind of hymn of just like do with me, you know, let your will be done sort of, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. What's been, what, what has the impact of the song been like since, since it came out? It's been really cool. Yeah. I'm really appreciating this conversation because I feel like I'm getting to talk about the full scope of my spiritual journey but often when you release a song and especially the way the media works these days you know you get to accompany it with like one statement right and i feel like for a, a hot second there i became like a mini version of a poster child for like lgbtq and religion and like that cross-section mm. and i was like ah that's still not me per se because mm. i am a very spiritual person but i'm not actively going to church i'm I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't pray and I will be, again, I'm, I'm excited to share where I am finding myself spiritually, but it's, it's not, yeah, you know, the song, the song serves a very specific story element of my life, a storytelling element of a chapter of my life, you know, and I believe that there's power in that, but it's not the totality of like what I'm advocating for so yeah i mean but you asked about the impact and the impact has been great and people have been reached out like oh i needed the song and it's been beautiful and it's also just been cool it's kind of given me some cool conversations for getting future music out which has been nice but yeah it, it's it's just you know it's such a specific song and i was nervous yeah. to release it because i was worried about the perception like am i gonna you know am i suddenly gonna have to start talking about religion now and sure enough i i I did start talking about religion, but I've just been trying to do it as honestly as possible, you know, yeah. and it's a complicated topic and people want answers just like I wanted answers when I was younger. And I think the unfortunate thing is that there's the reality is there's so much gray area. It sounds like it's had a big impact on you. Like what, so I guess just kind of jumping ahead, like what would you say your spirituality is like now? Yeah. Are you very familiar with like the Eckhart Tolle definition of spirituality? I, I don't know that I am. Okay, it it runs very, I wouldn't say it's identical to his, but it's it runs very similar to that. I do believe in a greater force, a greater purpose, but I think religion's gotten it really wrong over the years. And I actually think that being, presence, is the force, is God in a way. I think God is a bad word for what <laughs> fuels the fuels life. And I'm going to, anyone who's all interested in what I'm sharing right now should definitely check out Eckhart Tolle's work because he explains it a million times better than I. But have you ever meditated, Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Big meditation fan. Yeah. Sometimes I get to a point in my meditation where I reach that same feeling that I got when I was sitting in the church pew singing a worship song that I was like, there's, it's undeniable that there's something else here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that something else is anything outside of me. I think that that something else is inside of me, which I also know resonates with a lot of people because Jesus is within you, right? There's that, there's mm -hmm. that element. But I think it's less of a, a Jesus or a God. And I think that we all have access to a place of being. And when we're in that place of just being without thought, without identifying with who we are and our role in the world and all these things, when we're in that place, we have access to pure peace, pure joy, and pure love. And I think that that is what heaven is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we have access to heaven continually if we can return to that place of being. And so my religion is sort of like now 
just trying to be as present as possible and sort of be a vessel for that that force beneath it all, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's so helpful for me because I think I'm I'm someone who meditates more these days than goes to church. And so it's helpful to kind of bring those two together the way you're saying that, like, because I've had those same, I mean, I've, I've had the like sitting in the church pew and the right song comes on at the right moment and just like cuts deep and I'm just like a puddle. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and I've had those same moments like on my yoga mat some mornings where I'm just, uh, maybe I'm doing some kind of stretching pose work or maybe I'm just sitting still meditating and like, and then something hits and it's the same, same experience. So I, I, that totally resonates with me and it's, and it, it is hard to describe, but I like how you said that it's like, it's, it feels like it's something within. Cause I, I, I feel that too. Like it's not, yeah, it's not just some higher being far away, but it's, yeah. there's something going on internally. Yeah. And Eckhart Tolle will be the first to say that words are the worst way to describe it. It's, it's some, you know, it's, it, it really is. It's a, cause words are, th- think about a language is what resulted in our conceptual thinking in the first place. And our conceptual thinking is what resulted in all of our over identification with all of our thoughts, mm. which is what resulted in all of this separateness of yeah. of humanity right and yeah. when really we're all just this one stream of consciousness consciousness you know like we are all one yeah have there been have there been other theologians thinkers that you've um, been influenced by as well yeah uh very within that same lane of Eckhart Tolle. I'm really into Byron Katie's work, uh, Deepak Chopra. One of the people I'm really into right now is Tara Brock because she does a lot of that. Yeah. yeah, she does a lot of that that presence work, but she puts a Buddhist spin on it, which is nice. I I I would say Buddhism is another easy way to sort of explain where I'm at spiritually. I don't think that I'm entirely there, but it's a lot of those philosophies apply to what. How, the way in which I feel like I'm serving enlightenment in my life. Mm-hmm. But, and I also love that Tara Brock puts that psychological spin on it as well, because she has, she's a psychologist and I'm a mental health coach. And so I love adding that mental health element of it. Because if you think about it, Buddhism is not far off from a therapy conversation either. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of that whole stepping back from your situation and becoming the observer, becoming the witness is also like the way that in psychology, you gain power over the narrative that's influencing you, you know? So it's, yeah. it's all, awesome. it's all cool. It's all really cool. <laughs> I get, yeah. I get stoked talking about it. I spent so long not knowing any of this, right? Just like yeah. walking around. Why me? I'm all alone. There's something inherently wrong with me. And all of the opposite is true. There's, there's something inherently right with me there's no wrong in me in like the truest version of who I am there's nothing wrong with me so it's like how do I how do I tap into that as often as possible Mm. what what kind of got you onto this part of your spiritual journey like what what maybe turned you on to these to these thinkers and whatnot yeah that's a good question I'm not I'm not I don't know like four or five years ago I feel like I realized that I'm continually unhappy (laughs) and that I was I kept entering like really self-sabotaging relationships and like like just trying to prove myself over and over and over I don't know I just I guess I realized that the theme was me you know is it was very much it it was rarely the thing it was my relationship to the thing and so I was like all right well I want to I want to be happy (laughs) and then I was like how does one become happy if they've never Especially when they were younger, they kind of accepted that they were never going to be happy, right? How do you, how do you start to become happy? And then, I don't know, I, I picked up, I picked up a self-help book and then I picked up a different book and then, you know, mindfulness became my vehicle. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, yeah, I feel like I ebb and flow in and out of that question too. And sometimes it's, at least for me, I'm someone who overthinks things. And so I think a lot of us are. Same, bro. (laughs) And so I think sometimes it's finding the right tool or throughout my life, it's been really about finding the right tool to kind of like shut that off, be in and find a way to be fully present in the moment and, and to have a good positive experience right where I am and, and think when it's useful but not, not think to the point where it's detrimental and pulling me away from what's 
what's actually enjoyable in my life. Yeah, there's that great quote, the mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Who's that by? Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> Can I claim it? No, I'm not <laughs> Brian Falduto. Yeah, no. And so that's, yeah, that's where I'm at. But you know, yeah. and it's tough too, because like, I don't think anything I said detracts from the message of my song. Because, yeah, you know, the point of the song is that we are all inherently worthy of love and respect. Like, we don't have to do anything to earn those things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we don't have to change anything to earn those things. And so that's the point of the song. I, I, I position it from a very churchy language, you know, but it's, yeah, that's the, that's the message. It's, it's, you don't, you don't got to change anything about yourself in order to be lovable, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's what I keep coming back to lately too. It's um, just reminding myself, like, I'm enough. Like, yeah. and, and those, you know, that phrase, I am enough, three very simple words sounds like nothing. But when sometimes when I really sit down and ask myself, well, what do I really think about this situation? What's, what's really causing me to be stressed out about this or that? It's, it's me worrying about like, I'm just not bringing enough to the table right now. And, yeah. and so much of religion is, or at least my experience of religion is reminding you that you're okay that my fate my favorite hymns are the ones like here i am lord where it's where in the in the bottom corner of the the hymnal it says the genre of the hymn and it just says comfort yeah <laughs> and those those are the ones that always resonate with me the most and 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 make me feel like yeah i'm gonna be okay i'm enough and, and yeah uh, we find that you know many of us find that through religion but then i think really like what you're saying it's like but ultimately we have to find it from within ourselves yeah. and actually like and then maybe that's where God is. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, within religion, yeah. But there's even like a societal, like the language, the way language that you and I are speaking right now is still very much the minority. Like there's not, mm -hmm. we, we're, a, we're a society of doing, you know, it's just go, go, go. Even recently I was listening. I like, I have a, I'm afraid to say it because it might go off, but I have a Google and I say, hey, Google. Okay, it didn't go off. And and I I was just out of out of curious. I was like, share with me an inspiring quote. And then the quote was like, I this is not what it was, but it was something that felt like this. It was like, if you don't get out of bed and put your clothes on and do your best, then what is the point? And I was like, I don't Jesus. I was like, I just wanna I was just looking for something to feel good about where I'm at, actually. <laughs> you know, you know, there's so much pressure to be doing more than we are. It's it's yeah. Yeah, to be um, measured by our productivity and not just like our our inherent value as yeah. human beings. Can I reverse the question? I just want to hear like what it what what's your what's your religious standpoint these days or spiritual standpoint? Ooh, um, you may. Um, <laughs> um, it's 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 a mix. I think I recently moved, and something I I always learn every time I've had to move. I've moved a lot in my family because my dad was in the Navy, and so I find that you have to kind of shed a lot of things in order mm. to like move to a new place. Like it can be a number of possessions mm. or it can also be a number of like beliefs too, so that you can then find what works for you in this new place and this new habitat. And so I think for me, I spent a good chunk of time in my master's program trying to find different religions that worked for me. And I think I really just wanted to find a good community and I didn't, I never quite found that, but I really found peace on my own doing meditation and, and doing yoga. And, and so I got certified to teach yoga over the summer. And it's been the first thing that I've been doing since I've gotten to this new place, living in Richmond, Virginia, just trying to find, instead of looking for a church, I'm looking for a yoga studio. Mm. And yeah, and so that's been, I think, that, I wouldn't say that's like my religion, but it's it's been a really wonderful tool for me. And and so I feel like I'm more on this kind of in, I think almost by, maybe it's because of COVID and like, I just haven't seen as many people, but, or maybe it's just where I'm at on my journey, but it's sort of this like inward looking journey right now. And, yeah. and then soon it will, you know, I think, I think I'm on the cusp of like really stepping into community again mm -hmm. and I'm looking forward to that. So it's, it's both like, I, I think for probably for too long, I've kind of associated church with just community and not necessarily belief. Mm. And so I've had to really interrogate belief and practice first now. Mm. And and then I'll be ready to kind of say, all right, this is the community. Yeah, definitely I definitely relate to the, the inward direction 
And I'm also looking for a new yoga studio. I've been taking, I just moved to a new neighborhood at the start of the summer and there's been like an outdoor class every Saturday, but now it's getting cold. So I need to find a Mm. different option. I don't do well with yoga on my own. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, if I have the option, I'm probably not going to hold the pose as long as I should, you know? How has, as far as, you know, your journey and and what you've been thinking about, does it, does it have a community component to you for you right now? Well, yes, I've been on like, I don't think that the mindfulness conversation is very prevalent within the queer community. And so Mm -hmm. I've been, I've been on a little bit of a mission to make it more accessible. Yeah. If you think about what most of the community is, I hate generalizations, but I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of clubbing in, in some stereotypical senses, there is a lot of clubbing and a lot of talking about pop culture and a lot of joking around and talking about sex. And I have no problem with any of it. I want everyone to do whatever the heck they want, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I walk into some of these circles and I'm the only one who's like, let's sit down and talk about how you're feeling, you know, (laughs) or like, you know, and I'm like, let's what, what went wrong with your day? Actually, I'd love to hear about, you know, I, and I don't mean to be that guy either, but it's like, I, I don't know. I, I'm losing interest in everyone being okay all the time. I don't know if you're into Glennon Doyle's work at all, but I love, I think it's one of my favorite chapters in a book ever. I love when she talks about, I'm an artist. So most of my friends have what our society would call mental illness, meaning that they think outside the box and they're anxious and they're depressed and they have sometimes society is too much for them. And she's like, I've gotten to the point in my life where I'm not even remotely interested in talking to someone who doesn't have some sort of mental illness (laughs) because like, you know, it's, it's, it's with the, the conversations that I'm passionate about, it's becoming almost the the abnormal thing in my life is when I meet someone who's like, everything's fine, you know, and I'm like, is it? Is it really mm-hmm. fine for you? Because if it is, I want to talk about that because that's fascinating. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I want to go deeper with people. And I think a lot of that going deep process is being still, being present, sitting with emotions, and that's mindfulness. And, and so, yeah, I just don't feel like there's a huge push for that in the community right now. And so I have my podcast and I'm doing my best to be playful about it and talk about it in a way that feels lighthearted. So it's not like I'm, you know, imposing meditation on people, you know, because that, that's not going to yeah. work either. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much on the lookout for other doors in which I can create that community. So talk to me about coaching. How did you how did you get into that and in that whole world? Yeah. Just trying to give you the most honest answer. I think when I first discovered some of this like how do you be happy stuff, I was like yeah. I was just similarly to the church conversation, I was a little frustrated that no one ever like where was all this information when I needed it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and so I do have like a a bit of a mission in mind. I'm going to be honest though and maybe say, say something here that I haven't said on a on any interview, though, I got a little egotistical about it for a while, which happens. I think when you're on a spiritual journey or a mindful journey, all those habits and the need to prove yourself come along. So yeah, I think I spoke a little too early in a lot of areas. I was like, which is very much like me. I was like, I'm I'm on this healing journey and everyone's coming with me, you know? <laughs> and, and so, yeah, and I've, I've just, it's a much more lackadaisical approach that I'm on right now. I'm just trying to continue uncovering the truest version of myself and present that as an artist and see who might be able to learn from that or relate to it. And yeah, but as for the act of coaching, which is what your question is about, um, the act of coaching, I've there, I think there's a big misconception around coaching and therapy and most professional elements of like, this conversation. You don't have to have any of this stuff figured out to be a good coach. Coaching is a craft, much like acting, much like songwriting. I think I've gotten to a level of coaching that I'm, I can sit with someone, I can be with them in a really vulnerable space and hold space for them and, mm-hmm. and listen in a way that, that allows me to know what to ask next that might help them with their insights. It's a really honest process where I'm help, trying to help them see past whatever 
whatever limiting narrative they're currently living under and just expand their awareness. And often I do that by helping them pause or checking in with their emotions or what's cool is I've discovered that I like that process, which is such a relief, especially as an artist. I don't know if you can relate at all, but like as an artist, I spend so much time wondering if I'm only ever going to be passionate about this one thing that likely I'll never be able to make a career off of unless I like hit it big. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's like, yeah. To discover something else that I really enjoy spending my time doing has been an awesome relief. And that actual coaching conversation between two people or amongst a group of people, I love it in a really non-egotistical way. And so I'm less concerned about necessarily preaching what I know yeah. as a coach. And I'm more, in, I'm more concerned with getting intimate with people and, and then just being as intimate in sharing myself and as honestly as possible. Which is which would not have been my answer about two years ago. So yeah. there's been a lot of there's been a lot of growth as far as like how I view myself as a coach. Yeah. I've worked with a coach before myself and I've also worked with a spiritual director before and am starting to offer spiritual direction on my own as well. And it's really interesting hearing you say that because I think I, I, I suspect at least that preachers, pastors, priests, whomever, ministers probably go through the same thing where they're in front of people every single week giving a sermon or a homily and they have to take a position on something and people kind of look to them as this yeah. you know obvious authority figure on this particular denomination community etc and when i've worked with good spiritual directors before it's that that's that's never what we're talking about it's never me interviewing them about what they believe or them trying to peddle something to me. It's all about like me and my spiritual path and what's working and what's not and how I've been doing and asking all the kind of tough questions you were saying of like, no, how are you really doing? Like, tell me the bad things. And it's all about listening and, and just being attentive like that. And, and that is a real gift to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a quote in Ted Lasso that I remember saving in my notes. Cause he like, you watch that show? Yeah. He's like, He's like, he, he knows how it feels to hurt. And so he doesn't want anyone to get past him without knowing that they're hurting inside, you know? And I just, I remember that's kind of like, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I don't want anyone to like, I don't know, get past a conversation without, with me without having a human to human moment, you know? It's, it's, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's a good, that's a good show for a coach to watch. Cause that's like a, that's a real good coach. <laughs> I know one of my clients told me about it and I was like. I do love it, but uh, I'm trying, I'm on a lifelong mission to get my therapist to be my best friend. And so the, co the, the plot line got really difficult for me because the coach and the therapist became best friends. And I was like, no fair. I want my therapist to be my best friend. I love it. So you're coaching kind of primarily with, with queer people. Is that right? Yeah, primarily. I've actually been working with quite a range recently, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the mission is still to you know, have this conversation within the community. Because again, I just don't, it's starting. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, oper there's things emerging, you know, there's places you can go to have this conversation finally. And by conversation, I mean, getting still, getting mindful, talking to about your emotions. And there's, a, there's definitely a shift happening, but I don't know. I re I've been to Fire Island. I know that that's not what everyone's talking about all the time. You know, I, kn I know that there's still space for us to get more intimate and close with each other and, and talk about what, what's going on inside. And so, yeah, I do, I do, I do love working with queer clients. What do you feel like is, you know, it is working for your clients, like on this, in the sense of like language, like, is it, is, is faith helpful? Is mindfulness or wellness kind of language more helpful for folks that you work with or? Yeah. Mindfulness is more just a tool that I use to help them take a step back or to pause or to check in with the body. I mean, so often the, the, <laughs> the issue is that we're just trapped in our mind, which has mm -hmm. just, which is just a circular run of anxious thoughts usually. So it's like, if we can just leave the mind for a second and tap into the body, <laughs> there you go. That's, yeah. that's your coaching session. But it's, yeah, I mean, the, uh, it's an interesting question because coaching is about using the client's language typically. So it's, mm. so it's, and that's part of the craft for me. It's how can I adapt myself to your situation, your circumstances, who you are, what you're going through. And then how can I cleverly introduce, you know, a question or something you maybe haven't thought of, you know, and I have different tools for that. 
sometimes even just sharing an observation. I don't even have to ask a question. Sometimes just reflecting back to someone what they just said <laughs> is all you mm-hmm. need to do, right? Because, yeah, there's just, we're, we can only, it's hard to see your own shit when you're in your own shit. Where do you, where do you hope to see, or where do, where do you see like opportunity for mindfulness to grow in the queer community? Or if you could like start something tomorrow, that was just, you know, like what would it, what would yeah. it be? I'm currently I'm currently in workshop mode. I I, yeah. I launched this big community effort, but it was kind of like sometimes you need trial and error to learn what works. But I I'm currently on the back end just trying to figure out the best way to really get this message out there. And I think what I'm discovering is that for me anyway, it has to be an extension of my artistry or else I don't want to be doing it. Does that make any sense? There has to be a storytelling component to it. There has to be, again, I don't, I don't, I'm done with the days of like pitching myself as an expert or like trying to, you know, talking in the hopes of gaining clients, which, you know, is understandable. I was trying to build a business. I, I, I'm not mad at myself for where I was coming from a couple of years ago, but it's, if I'm going to, I'm, I'm really happy, for example, just in real time, I'm happy with how I'm doing with this interview, for example. I don't feel like I'm answering any of these questions in a way that doesn't feel really honest for me about where I am and what's going on for me. And yep. But at the same time, I feel like I'm sharing in a way that if someone's listening, they might be able to get an insight, right? That's like, because they might be going through the same thing or they may have the same yep. feelings. And so that's, and so I'm just, I'm currently trying to figure out the best way that I can share my share mindfulness in that storytelling way. And, you know, the way that society is going, it's not a crazy concept. I mean, Brene Brown has a Netflix special, you know, like I think there's, we are, we are to an extent, we are starved for people who are authentic in this world in that way, in that we're talking about. And there's also a mental health revolution going on, I feel like. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of doors and I just got to figure out what, what my door is going to look like. And I'm very actively doing that at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. I totally get and respect that. Before we wrap up, what's, are there any, what are some like self-care practices, things that are working for you right now? We've kind of touched on a few, but like, what's like your number one right now? Yeah. I don't know why, but the first thing I'm feeling compelled to do is offer advice. If anyone is any, any sort of type A like I am, that can easily bleed over into your self-care routine. And so for a while there, I feel like I had like 20 self-care activities I was doing a day and I'd wrap them up by like 1 p.m. and I'd be like, time to dive into my afternoon. What I've landed on that I really enjoy, I do a pretty deep meditation every morning. That is my priority as far as self-care, anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes. And then I try and at least get some gratitude in. And then if if I, gratitude journaling, and then if I if I have time, I'll maybe journal a little bit past that, just some additional thoughts or mm. things on the mind. I try and read a teeny bit. I really like books that are broken down into like three or four page chapters because I, I like to just read a little dose in the morning. And and then some sort of and the, the reading and the journaling don't happen every day. Those are in an ideal world where my I'm not completely zonked with things to do. But I try to get to the most days and then. The meditation is key. And then the I try and do some sort of care for my body every day, whether it's a long walk, a stretch, just my PT exercises, or it's a full trip to the gym, something with the body. And then I have like uh, 30 other things that if I, I'd love to try and do, but you know, piano is a big one for me. Sometimes I'll play piano right before I go to sleep. It kind of just is a last minute way to check in creatively, creatively before I go to bed. Yeah. I think that's that's enough for now. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I got that question from my therapist recently and I, I like gave her like the litany of all the things I was doing. She's like, oh, that's that sounds really good. I'm like, I, I can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. I think something that's been, I feel like a mantra that I've been saying to myself is just because I can doesn't mean I should. And so like there's a lot of things I could do, but what are the things that I know are going to really hit home? And usually it's mm-hmm. just that moment of journaling and meditation in the morning and a long walk. If I have the time, a long walk, oof, oof, tickle me, tickle me pink. I love a long walk. I've never said tickle me pink before. Is that even a saying? Yeah. Yeah, it's a saying. Color me pink. I've heard tickle me pink, okay. but I think it maybe in a different context. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love me and Hillary Clinton have the same self-care practice in that way she loves she loves long walks too hmm. 
Love it. Love it. Any, any projects, anything going on in your life right now that people should know about before we wrap up? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I don't have too many details yet, but I was in Nashville a week and a half ago recording a album and I'm super excited about it. And I think anyone who did enjoy God Loves Me Too or wants to hear more from me musically, I've got it coming. Awesome. Well, this has been a delight. Thank you so a much delight. for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg. It is true. God loves you. It don't matter if you're LGBTQ. If you'd like to learn more about Brian Felduto, you can find him online at brianfelduto.com and on Instagram at Brian Felduto. And be sure to check out the Gay Life Coach podcast too. Highly recommend. Those links are in the show notes along with some of the authors we mentioned during the show. And make sure you stay in the loop with the show by hitting subscribe or follow wherever you're listening and leave us a rating or a review. Those go a really long way toward helping others find our show. You can also find us on Instagram at outloudstories and you can find me at it's Greg Thompson. You can also sign up for my email newsletter where you'll get updates on all of my work, including the latest on Out Loud. You'll find all those links in the show notes as well. I'm your host, Greg Thompson. Our theme music is by JP Ruggieri and we record in Richmond, Virginia. Until next time, remember friends, queer people have faith lives too. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Thanks for listening.